Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 204. So have you guys spoken since fucking 1982 or whatever you want to call it? <laughs> nope. We, we, we messaged. Oh, this is the first time? We messaged at one point. We messaged when I was uh, a couple of times. Once when I was at City Hall way mm. back in the day. Um, and then after I got this job here. So exciting. Okay. Um, well, I'm Don't glad that Faith the Nation three, is your uh, portal two, for connection. One. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we watch as sales of Oreos have soared amid the growing needs of a snacking public. And you guys, I have to be honest, I haven't had a single Oreo this entire pandemic, so I feel like I'm doing it wrong. Uh, I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and I'm really out of sorts because the apps on my phone shuffled around for some reason, and I just can't handle it. Like, Yelp is at the bottom of the screen. What? <laughs> is that, does that cause disorientation for all of America, or is it just me? Uh, today, we're going to talk about media and corporate responses to Black Lives Matter. We'll also talk about SCOTUS's recent rulings, plural, one just came this morning, oh my God. And finally, Juneteenth. Uh, what is it? What, what should we be doing with it exactly? And uh, how should we celebrate? Today, I have such an exciting panel. Sorry, there's like a cough that wants to get out. <laughs> I get these pollen coughs, which look like coronavirus coughs, but they're pollen coughs. You're so making it really exciting. clear that it's a pollen cough. I respect that. It is a pollen cough. Pollen okay. cough also sounds like it should be the last name of like a law professor. Professor Pollen Cough. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I have with us uh, Director of National Campaigns at MoveOn.org. He's a writer. He's also a candidate for city council. He's also my really good friend from like 100 years. Uh, and uh, he's also one of the ta- founders of a theater in New York City called The Tank. I mean, it's just like he's done so much. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, we, we've been together in places like Ohio and Providence and, (laughs) you know, who knows where else in the future. It is my good friend, Justin Krebs. Hey, Justin. Hi, Nagin. It's good to be with you in the virtual world as well. Now, this next panelist 
is also so exciting. Uh, You've heard him on the show before. You've loved him on the show before. He's the justice correspondent at The Nation, which we've determined is one of the cooler titles. Uh, God, his writing is so fantastic. I was just musing yesterday uh, with my husband about um, the article he wrote explaining like Pete Buttigieg and how frustrating his candidacy was. (laughs) Um, We talked about it on the last show, but it's just worth repeating just to go back and read. It was funny. It was also funny. And we all just have so many Pete Buttigieg's in our lives. Uh, By the way, where's Pete Buttigieg? It doesn't matter because you know who's here. Ellie Mistal. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Nagin. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Justin. Justin and I uh, went to college together. Justin's heard me sing in public. It's true. Uh, <laughs> way, way back in the day. This nice is to see so you. exciting. This is a, a, a college reunion. Now, I want to point out that even though Justin and I met in a college-adjacent situation, it was like a college <laughs> comedy festival, I actually completely forgot where he had gone to college. And I didn't know. And it didn't even ask. And it just didn't even occur to me to know for like a couple of years. Because you guys went to the kind of college that people say, I, I went to school in Cambridge. And then other people are like, you go fuck yourself. Don't yeah. say that. You got to say Harvard. And uh, so, so well, how you... So my to school in Boston. Question, not, not in, well, near Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mentioned that so the audience knows. We got some smart motherfuckers on the show today. Um I tried to go to college where you went to college, and I was resoundingly denied uh, entry into that school. So anyways, went to the number two. It doesn't matter. How we're, many people tell you that? We're all here Everybody? on the same podcast now, it turns out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so who's the real MVP? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get into topic number one. A bunch of editors have stepped down um, from major publications like Bon Appetit, um, the opinions editor of the New York Times, um, Refinery21 had an editor step down. Uh, what exactly is happening? Uh, is it about time? Is it too hasty? Ellie, I'm going to start with you because you're knee deep in a publication. Um, mm. So you're familiar with these kinds of pressures. Uh, can you explain the the, the environment that's, that's giving us these resignations? Well, I mean, I think the the first we have to start with the what the problem is that people are trying to address, right? Um, media, mainstream media, is blindingly white. It's very male, but it is blindingly white, um, and that leaks through in their coverage. The idea mm-hmm. that there is some kind of objective standard, um, and then there is like people of color with their subjective standards is wrong, right? Like the the objective standard according to mainstream media, is the white male standard, right? And so what you have happening, I think, in a lot of companies is that they are so used to thinking that their white male standard is somehow objective that when people challenge that, they don't know what to do, right? So they're they're very used to dismissing people of color and dismissing diverse voices as being subjective or less than or not as important um, as the white male standard. Um, and when that gets challenged, they don't got a lot of places to go, right? They don't have a lot of outs after that. Um, they are not used to living, working, reporting, um, commentating um, in um, plurality, in a multi-ethnic, multiracial, diverse world. When they run up against that diverse world, um, what we're seeing now is is the fallout from that, right? Um, it is surprising to me that there have been that there has been accountability because what usually happens in these situations is that a person of color kind of raises their hand and like, I don't think that we should cover this this way, or I don't think that's the only angle, and they're basically like, shut up, darky, and then you, and then that person of color like ends up not having a job, right? Like, that's usually what happens. So for this to be happening kind of in the reverse, where it's the white male editors um, who are finding themselves uh, uh, out of work, that is that is surprising. That is a moment. Um, I don't know that it lasts. I don't know that it portends real deep structural changes. Um, but it is interesting that for a brief moment here, some of these uh, white male editors are being called out for their myopic focus on the white male narrative. And 
do you think that so now we're we're going in this process of looking for replacements and that's going to be a very sensitive uh choice right what what who's who replaces these um the people that have resigned uh can it be another white male or do you think at this point it definitely must be you know do their replacements have to be people of color do they have to be black do they what 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 do you think are their requirements so I don't like quotas. <laughs> quotas are bad. Um, so I, I, I leave open the possibility that for some of these jobs, a white male candidate might be the best candidate. Um, I, that, that certainly still is a possibility. What you'll see, though, and where we'll know if there's really been a change— all of these jobs, the the right replacement is not a white male candidate, right? Like that, right. It, it, right? it is not and cannot be that having gotten rid of a bunch of white males, now it just so happens that in all of these jobs, the only people they can think about are as another, like that would, that shows the structural right. bias and racism and, and issues um, inherent in media. Um, look, I think that when you're looking for, you have to think about not just the titular head, Right. The, the, the top job is not the only important job. You need to be working in a newsroom. You need to be working in an organization that has diverse voices and respects diverse opinions and gives power and agency to those diverse opinions as well. One of the things that I, that I try to point out a lot is that a lot of times in these organizations, even when they hire a diverse voice, they hire that diverse voice to then conform to the kind of white male structural narrative, right? Like you're not allowed to, like they hire you because they want your kind of different perspective and then they don't listen to you. Or then they don't, they don't allow you to write or talk within that diverse perspective and knowledge, right? right? right, right. And that's as big of a problem as whoever the titular head is, mm-hmm. right? So if you're working in a newsroom that is not only diverse, but respects that diversity, that's like the gold standard. If you're working in a newsroom, you can have, I mean, like Dean Bequette at the, at the New York Times, right? you can have people of color who nonetheless um, act and behave like, oh, sorry, my, my recording just went off for a second. Uh, <laughs> um, you, can, you can have a, a, a people of color who nonetheless conform to the white male narrative and make everybody else conform to that narrative, and then what have you really accomplished, right? So I think that's that's what we're looking for, um, true diversity, true respect for diversity. One of the things that I like about, and I'm not trying to just give a plug, but like one of the things that I like about working at The Nation um, since I've been there is that while I am you know, one of the only kind of persons of color in the room, in many of the rooms that, I am, that I'm in, at no point does anybody kind of ask me or force me or devalue that diversity and experience that I bring, right? And so I'm able to write, as I like to say, I'm able to write as an openly black man. Mm-hmm. I'm able to have being black be a part of my analysis of the Supreme Court or policing, right? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not forced or asked to take that part of myself and put it aside when I'm talking about serious issues like the Supreme Court, like, and that, that is a freedom that my current employer gives me that not every employer gives their diverse business. Justin, why don't you uh, say what you were going to say about that? Well, I was going to uh, um, also add to what you were saying, Ellie, is that um, you're not asked to put aside your blackness, nor are you asked to only comment on things that are specifically about black people. So the analysis that you bring, you're going to bring to everything. And in fact, on both DACA case today, on the LGBT case the other day, LGBTQ case the other day, there are racial analyses that one wants to bring to these. But it's not like they said, oh, Ellie, not so fast. We got somebody else to cover these ones. It's not about affirmative action. It's not about criminal justice. The fact that um, that uh, in a lot of newsrooms... I, you know what? I haven't been to a lot of newsrooms, so I don't know. It sounds like in a lot of newsrooms or in a lot of organizations um, that have white leadership, a person of color is brought in to be the diversity person. You want mm-hmm. diversity counseling and coaching and diversity and, and equity and inclusion, uh, mastery and expertise in your organization. You can also have people of color who are running campaigns and running comms and running tech and running organizing and running publishing and running like running lots of other things that don't involve the word diversity. And there shouldn't just be one person of color in 
the masthead or the leadership. So um, just as they allow you to bring your full self, they're also not, hopefully you're feeling this way, you're not being narrowed in. You're, you're not the racial justice correspondent, you are the justice correspondent. Exactly, exactly. Um, and race is everywhere in these conversations. Exactly. I love that, and 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 I've I've maybe mentioned this before, but like every time there's a terrorist attack, I br- I get um, <laughs> you know like marched in to various media organizations, like it was TV things, to be a talking head. And every time I'm like, um, by the way, I used to be a policy advisor <laughs> in New York in campaign finance, just so you know, like I could talk about other things and that you know, and uh, and try and be funny when I'm doing it. And they're like, no, 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 we only want you to be the brown comedian we use for terrorist <laughs> attacks, which is the most niche job uh, that doesn't pay. Um, all right, Justin, I, let me ask you about this Tom Cotton controversy. We actually haven't talked about it on the show, but Tom Cotton wrote a piece for the time, an op-ed for the Times that was indulgent mm-hmm. in some of the more sinister goals of the administration with use of military force to quell protests. Um and over James Bennett um, has stepped down, I guess, partially as a result of that um, and other things. Um, but uh, what did you make of that op-ed? Were, what camp were you in on whether or not the Times should have published it? Uh, I think that the Times greatly devalues its editorial space if it thinks that Tom Cotton is the relevant and important voice. And in fact, when I read the like just read like the the blurb about what the article was going to be about. I had this Jonathan Swift uh, parody vision. I was like, this is clearly going to be a parody piece of a U.S. senator saying, send our military forces. <laughs> and, and, and I bet it's really deeply ironic. And then I was like, no, we're dealing with Tom Cotton. It is not, ir- <laughs> there's no irony. There's no clever social commentary going on here. There is just uh, uh, a voice that is being elevated. So whether or not, you think that that perspective can be had. And, and in fact, their argument was X percent of Americans think that think, think that the military forces should be used to quell domestic protest. Elevating somebody whose entire brand is about like um, willfully ignorant militarism, <laughs> uh, maybe not ignorant, maybe will, willfully like um, uh, ideological militarism in terms of how he has approached uh, conflict with Iran, in terms of how he's talked about what's going on in Syria, in terms of, of this matter. It's just not a voice that um, has... It's like it's like you could also ask me to write an editorial about it, and I have I also don't have the, the, the track record and qualifications to write it. So um, that's, that's what was astounding to me. I was very surprised and inspired by the number of voices, both on the Times staff and then in solidarity with the Times staff, especially the staff of color, saying uh, the impact that they, were, that they were foreseeing this having. But I just thought it was just a poor use of Times real estate to begin with, and that Tom Cotton, you know, the same way that I would argue actually a lot of... Uh, Newspapers and TV shows should not be giving a whole lot of John Bolton coverage right now, right? There are people who discredit themselves by their policies and their stances and their actions again and again. Um, just because they're always wrong doesn't mean you need to give them an editorial space to be further wrong in a very public way. Well, I, I want to push back a little bit, which, which is that Tom Cotton isn't a random guy. You know what I mean? Sure. He's, he's wrong. Um, he's not random. He's right. He's he He's probably given a lot of counsel to the president. And he's, uh, you know, uh, in the Senate, he's a big public figure. Like he's, you know, he's not some fringe character who's like a writer for the Daily Caller. You know what I mean? This is not elevating a fringe character. This is elevating someone who actually has captured the imagination of a large voting public. So... is there not some value in letting the public know what it is that he actually thinks? I think there can be value. I think there can be value in having different perspectives. Tom Cotton is not somebody who has a hard time getting hurt. Tom Cotton can be on any cable news show any night he wants. Um, for the New York Times to seek out and choose Tom Cotton specifically advocating arguably unconstitutional use of our armed forces at a time <laughs> where police are already rioting and conducting violence against protesters, especially black people, is uh, th- that shows bad 
<laughs> bad editorial uh, judgment from the New York Times, whether or not he, Tom Cotton has the right to say it, whether or not Tom Cotton, um, the New York Times should have different views. It's just bad editorial judgment at that moment. Yeah, I think it. I think it's important to also, and Justin just 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 got here a little bit. I think it's important to focus on just how bad and dangerous Tom Cotton's argument was, right? Like, Tom Cotton says things that I could easily spend my whole life just disagreeing with, right? Like, I, I think he's an <laughs> asshole. But the, 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 the point here is that would the New York Times have run a headline, shoot the Negroes, shoot them all, right? Would they have run that headline? Probably not. And if they had, it would have been couched in such a layer of like, look, this is not our opinion. This is a look. It's important to have Mm. David Duke's opinion. So we're now giving you David Duke. This does not like they would have done a whole level of editorial shielding Mm. um, Mm. if they were going to print or publish David Duke's article, shoot all the Negroes. The problem with the Mm -hmm. Times in the Tom Cotton piece is that they didn't know they were publishing Shoot the Negroes by Tom Cotton. They didn't get that that's what they were saying, right? right? If they had listened to people of color in their own organization, they would have gotten that, right? And as far as we know, it looks like people of color in their own, that's why people of color in their own organization like raised a fit publicly after it was kind of published over Hmm. their objection, right? They didn't understand what they were doing when they did it because, and this goes back to where we started, because of this myopically kind of newsroom mentality that they have, they think, like, I, I don't know what the counter argument, what the liberal argument against Tom Cotton was, the the liberal counterpoint to Tom Cotton, but it's not Black Lives Matter. It's closer to like white people shouldn't be allowed to vote. Like that 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 would be like I would have the the level of <laughs> radicalism that right, I would have right, to go right, at right. to get to where hmm. to get the both sides of Tom Cotton is is something that put like this. They would never let me write that in the New York Times. Right? So th- that's really the to me the core of the problem. It's not that they put up a crazy man and gave him a, a, a platform they didn't need it, although Tom Cotton is a crazy man who got a platform he didn't need. It's that they put up a crazy man <laughs> to say something um, wrong and offensive and dangerous and didn't know they were doing it when they did. There, there it is. Uh, I, well, I want to just close the segment, like, on your quick thoughts about Quaker Oats retiring Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben being reaped, Packaged, um, Mrs. Butterworth being uh, reimagined. Uh, what do you think about the corporate response um, to Black Lives Matter, especially in the breakfast food <laughs> space? <laughs> Are there white people in this country that didn't know that Aunt Jemima was racist? I mean, is that really is that really true? There are people who really thought that that was just okay. Look, I I disagree with your premise. I guess I mean, I I do not think that this is the corporate response to Black Lives Matter. This is the corporate response to white people getting a clue because black people have been complaining about crap like Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben for 70 years. Right. Like this is this is not us. Black people did not. We have been we have we have wanted these images taken out for a long, long time. And two weeks ago, Quaker Oats was like, yeah, shut up. Two weeks ago, Mars, which owns Uncle Ben's rice, was like, yeah, shut up, black people. We don't want to hear from you. It is white people in the past couple of weeks who Columbus the <laughs> racism of these breakfast foods that got right. the corporations <laughs> to change their mind. So, like, sorry, has Columbus been used as a verb before I, now? <laughs> is that like a regular? Because that's amazing. I use it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Columbus as a verb. The is belated the and of false the show. and self-important discovery of right? X is to Columbus something. It's so, amazing. Good job, white people discovering Uncle Ben. Black people been new. I and, and I, I I also have to say that like it's fantastic to take a moment and notice everything that has been in the firmament of American society that looks fossilized, like we could never touch it, you know what I mean? That looks like, you know, the Parthenon, Mm -hmm. and we're just like, that's just what it is. It just sits there. Oh, now you want to take down the Parthenon, Nagin, of course. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) But that's what, but I think, like, we viewed some of these things as like, well, that's just what the grocery aisle looks like. It just includes racism and we just live that way um, and we never stop to notice it. And I think it's so fantastic um, that people are like, oh, shit. I, and, I, and again, like, 
I, I'm not trying to be mad at everyone for not noticing it their whole lives because we've all lived in the same society, which, which, which tells us don't notice it. You know what I mean? And it's, um, but it's like, what an awakening and, 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 and how amazing that people are learning, I think about, you know, the shape of Miss Buttersworth being extremely offensive and why that is. And historically, I mean, you know, I have my mom, my mom, my immigrant mom who actually, who, because she didn't, wasn't, didn't grow up here calling me to tell me about the shape of Mrs. Butterworth. <laughs> and that's fucking bless you, Golnaz. You know what I mean? That's great. You're like learning that, you know, and, and, and there's no reason you would have learned that because it's not a part of mainstream culture and you didn't go to school here and now you're learning it and that's great. Um, so there is something like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very late. It's very late. Um, but there's a misconception that, that these corporations are running scared from Black Lives Matter and from Black people and from social justice warriors or or whatever or what have you. That is not true. These corporations are not running scared from people like me. They are running scared from white people. They are running scared from white people who suddenly have decided that they don't want to be associated with these racist hangovers, right? Corporations, hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. one one thing you can say about them is that all they care about is money. Right. So like, like when I see all of these kind of branding changes or decisions, right, it's not because they grew a conscious. It's not because they grew a soul. They are not people, despite what Miss Rom- Romney says. Right. They want money. They're yeah. trying to figure out how to make money. If you tell them that they can make more money being racist than not racist, they'll be racist. If you tell them they can make more yeah. money being not anti-racist than racist, they'll be anti-racist. They don't care. All they care about is the green. Right. And so like people. Yeah. Building a nor- a capital, a capitalistic ethic around being anti-racist. <laughs> That's what America may be about. And if, you know what? It's better than the alternative. If you get your stimulus check only after you've read how to be anti-racist, a whole lot of people will be reading. <laughs> I mean, a whole lot of people are reading it. But, you know, tie it to stimulus checks. Well, we have to leave that there. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, From grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit. Even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Prose. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. 
basically every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care, I tried the skin care just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, um, like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, and this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness for like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it just it makes common sense pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make 50 percent of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation um will be taken off that's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that's 
that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Uh, the Supreme Court has been surprising us this week. And just as we were kind of logging on to do this uh, podcast, we heard that um, the, 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 sorry, we heard that they ruled that the Trump administration can't end DACA. It was a five to four decision. Um, and, uh, and basically DACA, you know, the Trump administration wanted to proceed with its plan to end um, the program that protected the Dreamers, and that's about 700,000 uh, Im- young immigrants, um, and, per- you know, and prep them for deportation, I guess. Uh, and now the Supreme Court is saying you can't do that. Uh, Ellie, what were your wow. feelings? Thoughts? Wow. I know. <laughs> Knocked me over with a feather. Wow. Um, okay, so just to be fair, I had to stop reading the opinion to do this show. So I, I, I am I am working off of a very quick skim of just the majority opinion. There were a lot of concurring opinions. There's a lot of complication here. But the mm-hmm. core of the case was that the Trump administration uh, was arbitrary and capricious when it tried to overrule DACA. Now, l- l- let me try to explain it this way. Um It is not controversial to say that the next president can end a program that was started by the last president under executive order. One of the problems with DACA, one of the fundamental flaws with DACA is because Republicans in Congress wouldn't play ball. DACA was done by executive fiat by President Obama. It wasn't an act of Congress, right? That made it fundamentally weak. Right. That made it fundamentally um, um, vulnerable. Mm, right. Mm. And so when the new president yeah. comes in, it is not um, it is not a particularly controversial proposition to say that he can overturn an executive order uh, from the last president. The key is the only key is, is that he has to have a reason. Yes, the, the, the you can the president can do pretty much whatever he wants as long as he has a good, legally valid mm-hmm. reason for doing so. I hate Mexicans is not a legally valid reason. Now, I know (laughs) white conservatives really want it to be, but it's not. You like I hate these brown people is not a good reason to do anything under the law. Now, that that basic tenant is codified under something called the Administrative Procedures Act. APA, which says that that's where we get this term arbitrary and capricious. The government cannot change stuff based on an arbitrary and capricious standard. All Roberts did in a 5-4 very narrow decision was to say that in this particular case, the president did not have a legally valid reason, that his reasons for ending the program Mm -hmm. were arbitrary and and capricious. That is Huge. That is a great win for immigrants um, uh, and, and just just for Americans who want to be ruled by something other than executive whim. But it is still fundamentally a vulnerable decision because while Roberts is saying that the president couldn't didn't have a good reason this time, the president could come back later. With a good reason. Certainly, if he gets elect, reelected, right. we can expect him to come back later with a more legally valid reason. Um, Roberts has shown, if we look at the Muslim ban, Roberts has shown a willingness to let the administration take multiple whacks at the pinata, right? Like, oh, no, that wasn't legally valid. That wasn't legally valid. Okay, now, even though we know you're only banning Muslims because you're racist, now you've put enough legal sheen on it that I can, like, <laughs> we know Roberts mm. will let them do that if Trump gets reelected. Um 
A nice, a nice like e- what is that? Like an egg glaze, like an egg nice veneer yeah. of to make it you know, shine of yeah. non crap, right? So I, I, I always heard it as like a third grade teacher really giving their student chance again, chance and again and again to get the assignment right. <laughs> you didn't quite spell it right. I before E. Come on back when you get there. It's like a multiple choice, right? C. Well, it's not C. Yeah. What else could it be? B. It's not C or B. What else could it be? Right? Um, <laughs> at which point the Trump team comes back with, is it BNC? <laughs> nope. Try one more time. One more time. <laughs> it is significant. Again, I haven't fully read the case, but it's significant. As far as I skimmed it, um, it looks like Roberts rejected kind of out of hand the equal protection argument, right? The equal protection argument would have said that even right. if you had a good reason, um, because this, uh, because changing this law disproportionately affects, um, uh, you know, brown people, essentially, uh, that you couldn't do it. Roberts rejected that out of hand. So this this victory is very close. It's very narrow. It's very vulnerable. If you want DACA to be a thing, Trump must lose in November. Because if he doesn't lose in November, he can come right back to court and get rid of DACA some other way. That said, mm. yep. given where, where I thought we were going to be, this is this is amazing. Like I, I, I he because Roberts just as easily could have said, you know what? Hating Mexicans is a legally valid reason because he did it with a Muslim man, right? He basically, with the Muslim Mm -hmm. man, Roberts basically said being irrationally afraid of Muslims is a valid reason to completely change U.S. immigration law by fiat from the president without an act of Congress. He could have said the same thing here with DACA and he didn't. So it's a win. It's just, it's It's just a a close one. Guys, I'm doing the box step over here. I was so <laughs> floored by it. I was so floored. I read the thing on my phone and I was like, no, this is a laptop moment. And I went on the laptop <laughs> to like read the article. Because <laughs> I was like, let me make sure I'm reading the headline correctly in like a bigger screen. And I was like, I I read the headline correctly, Justin. Um, the other interesting thing about this is that um, Justice Roberts joined the liberals on this. And and we can talk about the other Supreme Court decision, which basically upheld protections for LGBTQ people in the workplace. Of course, there's already the, a federal law that prohibits discrimination based on sex. And now it includes sexual identity because no, duh, except for the ruling was six to three, which meant that three justices are not in the no, duh camp. Um, the they duh still camp. don't get there in the duh camp. And uh, wh- what was interesting about that one is that Neil Gorsuch wrote for the m- majority. So we have an interesting, of course, Neil Gorsuch didn't vote uh, in the, with um with the majority on the uh, DACA case. But we're seeing an interesting shakedown, Justin. How, what do you think we're seeing with the Supreme Court, with the justices and how their proclivities? Um, so I, I cannot pretend to know the proclivities of each individual justice. No, I'll, I need uh, you to go to, I need uh, you to pretend gross, to know the proclivities of each of the justices. <laughs> they're, they're gross proclivities sounds like it would be like a legal term that actually means something different, but in this case, it just means gross proclivities. <laughs> it's actually, it's a um, sexual position that we can't talk about on this show. What I, I will say more from an advocate, organizer, progressive movement perspective is that both of these cases are huge testaments to years and decades of organizing work that has gone on leading to them, um, that has laid the legal groundwork, the advocacy groundwork, that has secured the victories, perhaps through executive fiat or through other ways, that have then been, um, uh, that have gained some inertia and that have done the cultural and society changing work where, um, yeah, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I'm going to forget which year, but, you know, uh, dreamers were not mm. a popular, universally lauded population. Um, Right now, majority of Americans, every political stripe supports dreamers and the right of dreamers to live in America and and to continue to work here, go to school here, pay taxes here, raise their families here. And it is is, um, central dogma to the Democratic Party at this point. And that wasn't true 10 years ago or 12 years ago or 14 years ago. And that's that's huge. Um, Similar with LGBTQ rights and what we saw the other day. That's the, the work of decades and decades of work. And um, I, so, so maybe Ellie would know more about the proclivities, it just sounds dirty when you say it, of the Supreme Court justices in this case. <laughs> I know that, like, for example, Anthony Kennedy often referenced the changing mores of society, especially around gay rights. And I feel like both of these cases 
show that the activist organizer work that happened over years and that pushed some changes and pushed culture changes and pushed perception changes helped with the cultural mores evolution that maybe gave room for Roberts or Gorsuch to um, to, mm. to do the right thing on one or both of these cases. The other thing that I just wanted to say about, oh, since you both shared your story of like where you were when you learned the news, where you were when you got the New York Times Google uh, <laughs> News Alert, I was literally in... Um, watching one of my daughter's kindergarten stepping up ceremonies on Zoom. So already very emotional and saw it and had to leave the room because of how emotional seeing that one line and also similarly being like, I need to read this. This can't be right. What's the other shoe? The other shoe's going to drop. It's like DACA stands, but deportations for all like, like some, right. but it wasn't that um, so I, I had like layers no Americans left I, my, the, 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 you know the sappy sentimental movie of my morning was kindergarten stepping up and DACA defense all at once and I know we'll have to write the third act to that it'll be great Right. And just and just two days after the um, LGBTQ um, news ruling that was also just shockingly (laughs) wonderful. Also, I was shocked that it was six to three. You know, I was Mm. really shocked that it was six to three. I thought it would just be Roberts. I didn't think Gorsuch would write for the majority. All of those things I found totally shocking. Um, And I want to double down on your norm building comment there uh but that's that the change happens through these kind of social social mores that allow people like roberts and gorsuch to just to be able to to write opinions like that and side with them with the liberals in cases like these um because you know and, and i may have mentioned this before but you know it's it, sociologists will tell you that You can't just say to someone, stop being racist. Don't be homophobic. All right, enough. It's wrong because it's not even rational or whatever. That's not how it works, how it kind of works. And we in the cultural space can do a lot with like making movies and fucking cartoons and writing (laughs) our little books and all this shit that we do. We could do all of that and it might move the needle just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. But what really moves the needle is just that the Supreme Court said gay people can get married. And now when we look at a gay marriage, we're like, yeah, that's a thing that happens. I'm fucking still homophobic, but gay people get married. That just happens. So the norm building sort of pushes on people who don't have progressive values into like just accepting a thing that happens, right? And that's so important. That's why, you know, when we first started talking about Black Lives Matter a few weeks ago, because of the recent events, um, again, I was like, we can't expect for people to just suddenly be like, oh, you know what? I really, I totally believe uh, that black people should have the same rights. That's not how it works. How it works is policies are put into place that we then come to a norm building expectation that black people don't get killed, right? Like we're like, oh, that thing doesn't happen because in our society it doesn't happen. It's a norm. We've we've built it through policy. And so that's why I think uh, you know, these these two cases are gonna do a lot in kind of gently pushing people who don't believe in these things towards believing these things um, or even just accepting these things if they can't even really mm. fully get I, on board, um, which I think is, which is, which is, which is a good. But outcome. can I say norm building starts at home? And, and, and I think Justin can speak maybe more forcefully to this, but you know, one of the things that he said that I think is worth pulling out and highlighting um, is that, you know, it's the activism that has done the work to make it dogma on the democratic side. That these things are, that wasn't always true. I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't know that you have four liberals to join. In a in a in a in a, in a yeah, case yeah. like the Bostock case about about gay rights and, and, and transgender protection, like uh, uh, Democrats and liberals for too long have been enemies on some of these critical issues, and a lot of the work of activism is actually holding Democrats to account. And getting them on board, because like the Republicans are never going to come along if you can't even hold your Democrats together, right? And so one of the things that we've seen in both of these cases, obviously, is that the four liberals hung together. You won't see that when it comes to issues involving things like qualified immunity and police reform and what have you. You don't have 
four liberals right now willing to get rid of qualified immunity, um, which would do a lot to to, uh, to address some of the police brutality um, situations that we have. Uh, um, you know, I've written a lot in the nation. Um, I've I've saved a lot of my ire um, in this current moment um, with the protests for democratically elected in super liberal city mayor Bill frickin' de Blasio, who needs to resign, okay? Because, because he is supposed to be our friend. This man ran explicitly on a campaign of reducing police violence and police brutality. But then as soon as the protests started happening, I saw that man out here um, making excuses for cops who drove their cars into crowds of people, right? Getting mm-hmm. liberals on board, getting, I, would, I, sh- I should sharpen, getting white liberals on board is actually as critical a part of the activism and the norm building and the movement that we have to have. And, you know, I know Justin spends so much time just doing that, just getting, getting your friends there before you can uh, take on your enemies. Yep. Can I, uh, I, 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 that's an excellent point. Thank you, um, uh, for for holding the Democrats, th- that that's really important. We have to make sure our house is clean. Uh, but Justin, I want to ask you. We, let's step into the shoes of the because this is the last question on this. I want to ask you about what the conservative reaction to the LGBTQ case, right? Because this ruling has really freaked out a lot of Christian groups, and I know you've traveled all over the country. You've been like inside red states, um, building community inside red states with a fantastic organization um, that Justin co-founded called uh, Drinking Liberally. And um, when you when you when you read some of the stuff that, that some of these Christian groups are saying, you know, they're really scared. Like they're they're um, let me see. I think I had a quote here. Um, one uh, one Christian conservative group said that it would create, quote, chaos and enormous unfairness for women and girls in athletics, women's shelters and many other contexts. But more than that, they're worried about their own hiring practices and having to defend their own hiring practices because those religious groups don't believe that marriage should be between anything but a man and a woman. Right. And so if you kind of put yourself in their shoes, um, there's even the United Methodist Church with 7 million members of the United States announced a plan to formally split the church because of those fundamental differences on who who should get married. Um, what, Justin, what do you say to our conservative Christian Americans who are freaked out by, by, by a ruling like this and what it might mean for their church? So first of all, I'm glad you added conservative when you last referenced it, because not all Christian communities feel this way. So I think it's oh, yeah, yeah. conservative Christians and largely white conservative Christian communities. Um, not entirely. I'm sure there are people of color and pe- who are people of faith who have problems with this. But largely when we're saying the Christian community, and I put that in quotes, which no one can see because we're on a podcast, <laughs> um, we, mean, we mean white conservative Christian community, which mm-hmm. is worth naming. Because I know, I know plenty of yeah. white progressive Christians that don't feel this way, and I know plenty of black Christians that don't feel this way. Okay, so now what would I say to them? I don't know. I I feel like this is a line that I'm stealing from some comedian that we love, and I just don't know who. But like, if you don't like, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get gay married, I guess is as simple as it gets down to it. Um, I would say to them, uh, not that they would listen to a avowedly atheist secular Jew from New York, (laughs) but I would say to them, uh, one, um, isn't there a golden rule at the core of your faith? Uh, don't you want to treat others as you'd be treated? Isn't that actually what Jesus was talking about? Two, Jesus didn't actually have anything to say about gay people, as near as I can tell. I'm sure that I could get into a long um, discussion of Scripture. And three, uh, there are just bigger problems for us all to worry about. There are bigger problems that we can all—like, there's actually common ground that white Christian conservatives can have with other people, yeah. too, yeah. if they stop focusing on who's marrying who. It's not going to affect them, but climate change is going to affect them. Um, economic disaster, as we all become subservient to corporate overlords, is going to affect them. Um, the increasingly authoritarian police state actually is going to affect them as well, not as quickly, maybe. Uh, and uh, let's find the common ground that on those issues that we can work on. And and otherwise, you know, they just the 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 world, thankfully, in some ways, is changing, and those are some of the, the thankful ways. And they're going to have to get on board, or they're going to have to get their ark to float away, or whatever the the right metaphor would be. 
Does the arc? Oh, because the right. I, for some reason, I thought you meant like the arc would levitate off the ground and uh, go into. Get on board or get rid of the I'm also okay with. Exactly. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know the science of biblical arcs, so I'm not sure. Uh, and I'm a Muslim, so I really don't know. Well, you right, are? Uh, <laughs> you guys, <laughs> let us move on to topic number three. On uh, June 19th, 1865, enslaved African-Americans in Galveston, Texas, were told they were free. And that day became a day of celebration known as Juneteenth. Ellie, we're going to start with you. Um, now, you're a black man. Indeed. And uh, I wondered, I'm married to a black man and I, for whom Juneteenth was not a part of his his growing up. I wonder, was it a part of yours? Uh, what does it mean to you? Give us your little history. Yeah, no, I'm 42. Teeth. It was not a part of my upbringing uh, um, in the way that it, certainly in the way that it is today. Um, to the extent that I had any contact with it, it was a, it was a reading holiday, right? It was, a, mm. it was a, a, hey, what? why did they call it Juneteenth instead of June 19th kind of thing? And then, you know, my dad would be mm-hmm. like, well, you know, you need to read some James Joyce, boy. You need to read some Ralph Allison, boy. Um, and and that, that was how I... He didn't just say it's a fun portmanteau. No, no. <laughs> no he, had, he had these huge, you know... Because, Dad, that's the, re- the response I'd be looking for. These huge, dusty tomes, right? And he's oh. like, you know, stop, get your, get your head out of your little Star Wars oh, or comic books. And I'd be like, well, it's actually, it's actually mm. Spider-Man. Com- Star Wars doesn't have- right, get your head out of your Star Wars comic books, you know, and read some Invisible Man. Oh, like the Fantastic Four? No, boy. Like, it was that kind of, <laughs> it was that kind of conversation. Um, and that's, and that's the only, that was my only kind of real uh, attachment to the day or the holiday, as I, I guess it now is, uh, really until I was professional, until I was working, until I was kind of out in, out in the world. And, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's grown and become um, this day to really celebrate black liberation um, and this day to acknowledge that the struggle continues, right? That, 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 that we haven't actually been liberated. You know, we've, we've, we've achieved a level of legal equality. Um, we still have not, in some cases, we've achieved a level of legal equality. Um, we have still not achieved a level of social equality. Um, and there's still, you know, dedicated forces um, to keeping uh, African-Americans as second-class citizens in the society. Um, and Juneteenth has come to be a day where we celebrate the accomplishments and, you know, steal ourselves um, for the battles still to come. Um, and that's that's great. Um, that's that, that, that it's, it's great. It, it, you know, I was explaining it earlier. Um, Juneteenth is what white people think Martin Luther King Day is. Right. <laughs> Mm. (laughs) (laughs) like that's that's actually what we do now on this day and that's and it's and it's wonderful and i'm glad there's more awareness over it i'm glad there's more awareness over it in the black community black people um deserve a day to like just be just be happy to be free and and be uh uh steeled for for more freedom um so that's great and um and to the extent that white people want to notice it now that's that's also awesome you know, Justin, you're running for city council, and if I were in your district, I'd vote for you. Um, sadly, I'm not. Uh, but what do you think about making it some sort of a national holiday? Or, you know, I'll just I'll just run down a list. I mean, Texas kind of became the first state in 1980 to notice it. Um, but it, the recognition is largely symbolic. Forty-five other states in the District of Columbia officially recognize the day in New Hampshire, uh, recognize it in um, as a state holiday in 2019. Um, Cuomo uh, is declaring the anniversary of holiday for state employees. And Ralph Northam of Virginia said he would propose legislation to make June Juneteenth a paid state holiday. Uh, what you know? What do you think these um, state legislatures or even the federal government should be doing um, with Juneteenth? Sure, holidays all around. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't see any objection to it. I think it's, um, I, I think it's the, obviously this year more and more people, more and more white people are aware of it in a way that they haven't been before, and I think that celebrating uh, emancipation and freedom, and also like baked into the celebration, is the hope however implicit that we can right our wrongs as a country um that we're not there, that we haven't righted them yet but that 
that there are steps that we can keep taking to reinvent, to fix, that take time. I mean, the whole notion that it was celebrated in 1865 after the Emancipation Proclamation was in 1863 shows that things take time, and it's now 155 years since. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that there are a number of days that could be envisioned as as federal and state and city holidays and as opportunities for learning in schools. I mean, I, I we all have kids, um, I think, but uh, my kids are in school, and even in the virtual setting, the teachers, for the first time this year, are figuring out how to talk about it and how to engage it in the school community is. And to the extent that holidays, yes, can be a day off, and that's great, but can also be a reading holiday, as Ellie put it, or a holiday of learning, <laughs> that there are lessons to learn. It does seem like a great opportunity um, to focus people on that, uh, in addition to inevitable June barbecues that will happen because everything from Memorial to Fourth of July is going to be a barbecue as well, uh, but also a, a real opportunity to learn, to protest, organize, um, and onward. Uh, what, I mean, what do you guys think of the some of the corporate responses? Jeff Bezos, I'm going to just tell you what I think <laughs> first. Um, <laughs> Jeff Bezos, uh, he made an announcement that it would be a company holiday um, that where Amazon would offer a, quote, range of online learning opportunities, right? Um, and he added that employees should, quote, take some time to reflect, learn, and support each other. Or, you know, for example, Chase Bank is closing its branches 1 p.m. on Friday in recognition of Juneteenth. Now, the kind of Juneteenth commitment I'm looking for from the corporate world, and specifically from Amazon, is that I want... Um, Amazon to disband and stop violating antitrust laws. Uh, mm -hmm. And I want it to pay its workers a living wage, especially the ones in the warehouses. And I want them to stop evading taxes. Um, and I want the government to, uh, you know, stop letting them evade taxes. So that's the Juneteenth commitment I'm looking for. It feels to me even though I get, you know, obviously this, it's still some measure of progress, but it feels a little bit like here's a bag of dirt, you know, whatever. That's kind of what a, what some of this corporate response feels to me. What do you think? Yeah, look, I want, I want, I want, I want people to hire black people. Like that's <laughs> like the the, yeah. the corporate response I'm looking <laughs> yeah. for is hire more black people, hire more people of color, um, put them in your C suites, um, put them on your boards. Um, have a diverse company. That's what I mm. want, and I can't get that. You know, uh, again, like like Justin said, like you like you've said, like barbecues are nice. I like barbecues, but like, I also like jobs. Um, <laughs> and, and 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 if and if more black people could get jobs, that would that would be better for us. So yeah, that that those are the responses that I that I kind of put more stock into. But, you know, I, I'm also, you know, I'm old. You know, I'm more old. I feel old. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when getting, you know, Arizona to recognize Martin Luther King Day was big. Yes. Right? Like, that That happened in yeah, our lifetime. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Getting yeah. people to stop uh, counter-programming Robert E. Lee Day on Martin Luther King Day is still a thing that we have to fight about in some places, right? So, like, Right. I, 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 I get getting getting uh, Aunt Jim, getting Mrs. Buttersworth to stop being that shape right? is something that's happening this week. Recognition <laughs> is still, you know, I don't want to. So I don't want to, even yes. though I still have, you know, higher yeah. aspirations. Um, I don't want to poo-poo recognition. Recognition is the first step, and so yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I have spent a lot of years working on things that are are symbolic because of the the cultural power they can have and they're in they're not sufficient but I think they're a part of it whether it's the symbolism of the of the logos and brands or the symbolism of days it does create more space to talk about things it creates uh, more opportunities to draw folks attention it is not the same as jobs it should not be mistaken for being the solution but it is it is part of something and it's also I mean holidays are great as sources of joy, finding ways that communities, when we're allowed to come together um, post-pandemic, can come together and celebrate, whether that's celebrate through learning, celebrate through service, celebrate through barbecue, celebrate through community events, that kind of shared joy is actually part of what we all need to be building in our communities and in our awareness. And so opportunities for joy, and sometimes that needs to be like a named holiday that tells you this is what you can be joyful about, are actually really valuable to society. Opportunities for joy. We're going to end it on that. 
So, uh, uh, Justin, Ellie, that is the end of the show. How do you feel? Uh, I mean, I'm still, I, I still have Supreme Court r- rulings to read. Right? Like, I <laughs> yes! have to figure out what the hell. There were like three different concurrences and Clarence Thomas, of course, the set. Like, it's just, it's wild what, what happened with DACA. Oh, God. I can't wait till I know more. <laughs> Justin, how do you feel? Uh, you've, you've had an emotional morning. I've had an emotional morning. I feel smarter for having heard from the two of you. I feel like I don't need to read articles because all I'd get out of the articles are what Ellie said about the Supreme Court decision. So his, his <laughs> His narrowest take is as deep as I get. So that was that was really helpful to me. And I'm I'm just uh I'm feeling joyful to be with you all today. You're okay. <laughs> flat, flattery is noted. Um well what I really want from you is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the stuff that you do. Ellie, where do I'm they at, find I'm you? At Ellie NYC, E-L-I-E-N-Y-C, because when I made my handle, I thought I would never have children leave New York. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm also, you can find my writings at The Nation. And Justin, where do they find you? You can find me at Justin M, as in Maximilian Krebs, K R E B S. So J U S T I N M K R E B S. Wait, on is your middle, na- is middle your name? Middle name Maximilian, Maximilian. It is. Weirdly, it's not just the thing. I could have said like mother, but I actually said what my middle name is <laughs> Justin M. Krebs. Um, gosh, I hope that's my Twitter handle. I think it is. And if you want to get involved in work across issues across the world, check out moveon.org because we are campaigning on everything all the time. All Everything all the time. I'm a big fan of that organization and everything that they do. Uh, you all know where to find me, um, you know, on this, at Nagid Farsad on all of the things. And, uh, oh, last week I was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So catch that episode. It was a really fun one. Uh, and, oh, you could still see... Um, so, some of my my short film, The Morning Papers, Morning mm. as in Grief and Yet It's a Comedy, uh, The Morning Papers at nagineforsat.com slash stream. You can also see my uh, my last feature film, Third Street Blackout, um, at thirdstreetblackout.com slash stream. Uh, that's 3-R-D-S-T-R-E-E-T. <laughs> um, and uh, you, things, things, there's all these things. Um, but what I really want to do is thank the production team here at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gabby Alterroder, theme music, Lily Fleshler helps with research, and we love hearing from you. So please uh, send us your feedback topics. We should be chatting about guest ideas. You can leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005 or drop us a line at commentsfakethenation.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. That's a real thing. And we will be back in your face next week. 